Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Angels Envy. Envy is commonly regarded as a vice, but it can be a good thing. Envy can be a catalyst for creation, inspiring the world to raise the bar. And Angels Envy is a bourbon that is worth the envy. Angels Envy bends the rules. It's a little different from all the other bourbons out there because Angels Envy is the pioneer of secondary finishing in bourbon. Angels Envy is finished in port barrels, which adds a layer of complexity to the whiskey and gives it a unique and approachable flavor. Plus, Angels Envy is one of the first full production urban distilleries in downtown Louisville. And whether it's for someone special or to bring to a housewarming party, Angels Envy makes the perfect gift. These angels are so, they have so much envy with its unique bottle design. Angels Envy bourbon finished in port barrels is sure to be the envy of any bar cart too. Look for Angels Envy bourbon finished in port barrels. Please drink responsibly. Copyright 2024. Angels Envy bottled by Louisville Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. Francisco, the Castro, good to see all of you. Why are you guys all in such a good mood? <laughs> you know, there are, there are shows where you look back on the week's news and you think to yourself, What are we going to cobble together here? (laughs) There was a philosophical problem that we faced in producing Love It or Leave It for all of you, and it was this. If 100% of cable news would work as an okay stop (laughs) for fully 24 hours a day for several days. How can you possibly edit it in time for the show? (laughs) Today began with a Trump tweet. I shall read it. Will the Democrats apologize after seeing what was said on the call with the Ukrainian president? They should. A perfect call got them by surprise. That surprise was like when uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog would try to hide behind a tree. (laughs) Surprise! It's incredibly incriminating. (laughs) The White House released a memo, a kind of rough transcript of the fateful call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky that convinced Democratic leaders to launch an impeachment inquiry. Woo! Woo. It was shocking because they said it was going to be exculpatory, and then it was not. In fact, Senate Republicans were so angry about it, they've been talking to reporters all day about how it was such a bad idea to release the transcript, and apparently one senator told Mike Murphy that if it was a secret vote, there would be 30 Republican senators for impeachment. So it's a bit like we accuse Donald Trump of flirting with an ex over text. And Trump is like, I wasn't flirting. I was talking about bilateral corruption investigations. And yes, we know that a good, healthy relationship is based on trust, but that ship sailed long ago, so we're like, show me your fucking phone. And he's like, I don't care if you look at my phone. It's fine. There's nothing in there. And so we're like, what's your passcode? And he's like, I'm not giving you my passcode. I said, well, why not? So I don't want to give you my passcode. Fine, then just unlock it. I don't want to unlock it. Just unlock it. Fine, I'll unlock it, but there's nothing to see. There's nothing you see. You can check yourself. And he unlocks his phone and hands it over. And at first, it is just sort of government stuff. But you scroll and you scroll, and he's looking pretty nervous. And then, boom, just dick pics. (laughs) And not like cool dick pics, where you've talked about the fact that This relationship is open now, and if you want to explore and find dick pics, that's fine. No, this is a relationship where you've talked about opening it, but one of you is more comfortable than the other, and you're getting there. (laughs) Here is what the call summary showed. Trump did indeed pressure Zelensky to investigate Joe Biden and his son Hunter, and even secured a promise from Zelensky that the completely fabricated issue would be reviewed. Trump asked Zelensky to investigate an even crazier conspiracy pushed by Rudy Giuliani that the Ukrainians, not Russians, had a role in hacking and stealing emails from the DNC in 2016. 
Trump told Zelensky that he'd connect him with his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and the Attorney General, William Barr, on this issue, fully combining his personal interests with the national interests. Trump did, in fact, suggest a quid pro quo that involved trading arms for political favors. Zelensky thanked Trump for U.S. military assistance, says Ukraine will need more assistance, and Trump responds, and I quote, I would like you to do us a favor, though. Republicans in Congress are all over the place, but a good many are trying to claim that there's no explicit quid pro quo. First of all, there wouldn't have to be. Uh, it is uh, wrong to ask for foreign assistance and interference in an American election, even if you are not doing it via a shakedown. <laughs> shakedown, bad, not allowed. Foreign interference, also not allowed. Put them together, double crime. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's an explicit quid pro quo right there in the text. The memo is incredibly damning. A lot of Republicans, though, are behaving like Westworld robots. <laughs> it doesn't look like anything to me. <laughs> Trump is at the UN, and lo and behold, he does a press conference with who? This is awkward. The president of Ukraine. Let's roll a clip. Thank you very much. President Zelensky, have you felt any pressure from President Trump to investigate Joe Biden and Hunter Biden? I think you read everything. So you, I think you read text. I, uh, I'm sorry, but I, I don't want to be involved to democratic open elections of USA. Um. He is right here. Uh, you see him. He here. <laughs> crime man here. I'm from small, vulnerable country. Need crime man. And to be clear, uh, it is okay for Lovett to do accent. He technically Ukrainian Jew. Okay. Uh, let's continue. No, you sure that we had, I think, good uh, phone call. It was normal. We spoke about many things, and I. So, so I think, and you read it that nobody pushed me. Yes. In other words, no pressure. That is some gone girl shit. You have expect Trump to put his hand on Zelensky's knee and be like, "We're very happy, and we're just looking toward the future." <laughs> when in history. Has anyone described a phone call as, quote, normal? <laughs> that was normal. When something normal happens, it never occurs to you to call it normal. That wouldn't be what you'd say. But when asked about an incredibly insane phone call, you'd be like, it was very normal, very chill. Very normal, chill call, I insult. France and Germany, then you put that out to your reporters. Very good for me. Delicate, dangerous times for me. I remind you I'm a comedian from Ukraine who finds myself in crazy circumstance. <laughs> Did not see this one coming. <laughs> Things are moving quickly. Democrats have reportedly begun debating whether to press equally hard on all of Trump's impeachable offenses or to limit the inquiry to the Ukraine scandal alone. But as of now, a majority, not just of Democrats, but of the House, supports impeachment. And you know, we've said from the beginning that impeachment isn't just a legal matter, it is a political matter, and when it's different, it will feel different. And I gotta tell you, this week has a whole new vibe. <laughs> Meanwhile, Trump is back to calling it a witch hunt, as if he's a teenage girl in 16th century Salem who corrected a man's arithmetic. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see if he floats. And let me remind everyone, okay? Yeah, this is a big week. Impeachment's in the news. We're all freaking out. But the fight to take this country back is still to come. And right now, you can go to votesaveamerica.com slash fairfight. Between now and November 5th, 
We are trying to raise $1 million so Stacey Abrams can put 20 teams on the ground in battleground states. We're doing the infrastructure work now so that we're not caught flat-footed by Republicans attempting to suppress the vote. She needs the support. We've raised $800,000 since we launched this campaign. We're so close to the end. This is what you can do right now to be effective in 2020. It's before we've picked a candidate. All the fight's still to come right now. Help put the, put the people in place that will make sure that when we've done our jobs and knocked on doors and raised money and canvassed, that when people show up to vote, that they can register, that their votes are counted, that we make sure that people's voices are heard. So support Fair Fight. Get behind Stacey Abrams and go to votesaveamerica.com slash fairfight right now. When we come back... The mayor of San Francisco, London Breed. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home. On top of the wide variety of houseplants available, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Mike Pence should have gotten one of those after the election day. (laughs) (laughs) The experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants for all climates, locations, and needs. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, landscape designs, and how best to take care of your plants. The point is, I may not have a green thumb, but that's why Fast Growing Trees is perfect for me because it makes it so easy. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LOVEIT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code LOVEIT at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code LOVEIT. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions apply. Tell you the story of the pants. You want to know the story of the pants? Well, uh, you see, over the last 40 years, America and the world developed an international trading system that shifted the production of goods and services to places where the cost of manufacturing was lower, places like China and Vietnam and and Bangladesh and India. Uh, Through that, we developed a system of supplying Western capitalist societies with cheap clothing and and other products that allowed us to have a higher standard of living while depleting the manufacturing base of the country and leading to widening inequality uh, as uh, the wealth of our capitalist system accrued to the hands of those at the top uh, while while the kind of middle-class jobs, the backbone of our economy, was slowly ripped away, the trade-off being, yes, you get a $600 Vizio at Cons Club, but you lack a sense of dignity, uh, a sense that your life has meaning and purpose, and slowly but surely, without fully understanding why, your politics become more brittle and, and crass, and you grow angry and intemperate in a way you can't totally describe, and politicians of both parties struggle to speak to that uh, inherent contradiction, a sense that society is getting richer, and yet I feel poorer, that we have more and more things, and yet we feel more disconnected from one another. Uh, Somewhere along that path, I went to a website uh, (laughs) called, I believe, Top Man, uh, and was able to purchase these pants for, I believe, $39.95, and um, they arrived in my home, and I put them on, and I thought, these will do nicely. And that's the story of these pants. And we're back. Please welcome your mayor, San Francisco's London Breed. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. There's a loose crowd. Wow, I'm loving this crowd. A lot of energy here and a lot of excitement and a lot of fun things to talk about. So many fun things. Uh, Let's start. This is going to be a tough one. A tough one? Is this a tech city or a gay city? Ooh. Well, let let me just be clear. I've been in San Francisco all my life, and the gay movement originated right here in the Castro... And so, I'll say, it's a gay city. 
because, because we're always happy. <laughs> Follow-up question, gays or tech bros, who has better drugs? Who has better Never drugs? Mind. moving on. I hope neither one. <laughs> I just heard gays in a gay voice. Uh, <laughs> How about we talk about the attire? I, you know, like... Oh, that's not a question. Yes. <laughs> All right. Donald Trump, uh, he's former president. He recently insulted... <laughs> we were having it. fun. Stop it. Bring the mood down. <laughs> so he recently insulted the city of San Francisco. He's insulted America's cities many times before... Uh, is the city reeling upset? How did it respond to being insulted by Donald Trump? Well, having him as president is already an insult to this country. And the fact is, he doesn't understand facts. And he's always putting out information that isn't true. He has torn this country apart. I mean, we have got to make sure that we do everything we can to get out there and not only vote, but also go to those swing states and work our butts off to make sure that we get a Democrat in office. You know, I, I talked to uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio of uh, New York City and Des Moines, and uh, he... <laughs> I asked him about this. It, it seems like there's this assumption where it's fair game to attack a city that you see everyone from Donald Trump to Scott Walker, not just Trumps, but Republicans up and down the line who say, oh, you can vilify the coastal elites, you can vilify the coasts, San Francisco, L.A., New York, big cities, that that's okay. But suburban America, rural America, they're to be respected. They're sacrosanct. Why do you think it, ha it is acceptable for Republican politicians to bash cities and say things like, oh, the heartland, the real America, you know, that's the part I care about. Why do you think that's acceptable? I, I, I think part of it is, first of all, is, it's not acceptable, but the fact is we are talking about people who get elected by those suburbs and small towns and places like that. In California, we're a blue state. So we're an easy target for somebody like, you know, Donald Trump, who continues to come here and raise money and talk crap and then get on his plane and he's off doing whatever business he's doing and he could care less about California because he knows that there is no way that he would ever win this state. Um, and so at the end of the day, it's what sadly we see too many politicians do. They play to their audience, they play to their voters, the people who are supporting them. And what you have to realize is when you become an elected official, there were a lot of people who supported me and there were a lot of people who didn't support me, but I'm everybody's mayor. And so I can't pick a side and, and try to play to this side versus another. I have to take care of this city whether people that I don't like or they don't like me agree with it or not, you can't allow your personal feelings for people to get in the way of the jobs that you're here to do. And he's the president of the United States. It's already embarrassing, but for him to continue to do what he does, to just put fuel on the fire, it's heartbreaking. And I, I just keep going back to some of the situations that have been occurring around these kids who are separated from their families, people who are sending their kids to this country by themselves. You think some mother or father would make a decision to just send their child to the United States by themselves if it wasn't that bad? I can go on and on, but the point is, we are all on this earth together. And we are going to have people we agree with and we disagree with. Let's fight it out. And then let's go have a drink of wine and let's move on. But let's take care of the people that we're here to represent. One of the issues Trump has harped on, you know, Ben Carson came here as well, refused to meet with you. Right? Well, well he didn't respond. He didn't refuse. He Ghosted just never you. responded to my request. Ghosted you. Yeah, he did. Like some men in my life. <laughs> It happens. Don't worry, girls. He's coming. I hope Ben Carson isn't coming. Uh, the, uh... <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the issues Trump has harped on that he sees as a vulnerability for San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, is rising homelessness. Uh, San Francisco has a growing homeless population. It's up 30% since 2017. 
but you're in a fight right now over building a 200-bed center, and you're facing a lot of pushback from that neighborhood. And this is a problem we see in liberal cities. We see liberals who talk about the importance of affordable housing, more dense housing, uh, housing for people in need, and then their support changes when it reaches their neighborhood. It's a classic problem. What have you learned about fighting that nimbyism in your time as mayor so far? Sometimes, you know, with mayors, again, you want to get elected, you want to be popular, you want to support the things that your constituents want you to do. But then there's also a time where you have to have the courage to do what's necessary in order to address what we know is a serious challenge that we have in our city and really an issue around equity in terms of access to affordable housing. Um, and for me, I mean, I grew up in poverty. I grew up in public housing here in San Francisco. And it was a struggle. And our community was neglected. The challenges that existed there, the frustration, the poverty, the violence, everything that you can think of. And there's no way that I would ever be in a position like this and not be willing to have the courage to do what is right, to get to what we need in terms of shelter beds, more affordable housing, all the things that we need to do in order to help people who unfortunately in some instances can't help themselves. People struggle with mental illness, and they're not going to go away because we don't want to see them. People struggle with, they struggle with substance use disorder. They're not just going to go away. This has happened, you know, since probably the beginning of time. And the fact is, just because we don't like it, just because we don't want to see it, doesn't mean it's just going to solve itself, or you elect a politician and they're going to you know, take care of the whole problem, we have to start making the hard decisions and the hard changes to the systems we have now if we are going to make an impact on not just clearing the streets, but how are we going to change and save people's lives? That's where we got to get to. Can I ask you about this? Because, you know, this is a, a, a problem here in San Francisco. It's a crisis in Los Angeles. It's a crisis in, in cities across the country. And when it comes to whether it's building a, an apartment building in a neighborhood that's had single-family houses or building shelters in, in a neighborhood where people don't want it, people who claim that they want these kinds of things, a lot of people uh, who didn't realize they'd be confronted with this issue, who thought they would support it, all of a sudden think, wait a second, I care about this issue, I do, but it's affecting my property values, it's affecting my community, I'm worried about it personally, and all of a sudden they find themselves on the other side of the issue. How do you talk to that person? How do you talk to somebody who's coming at you from that point of view? Well, we have an obligation as a city, too. When we say we're going to build a shelter, a navigation center, and provide opportunities for people who are homeless, we have an obligation to talk to the community to help them understand what this means and what these shelters are like. We had a community where they were like, we don't want this, we don't want this. And we took them to another navigation center, talked to them a little bit about what this means, and had them meet some of the people whose lives have been turned around and they said, okay, we'll give it a try. We don't want it, but we're not going to be adamantly opposed to it. We did it. And then before the lease even expired, the same community came back and said, you know, it's okay. You can go ahead and extend the lease. It's like, give us a chance here. And for me, it's like, give it a chance. We can't keep doing the same thing and think that we're going to get a different result. We can't keep complaining about the problem, but as soon as it hits, you know, our yard or our area, then we're like, well, wait a minute, not in my neighborhood. Well, it's already in your neighborhood. The fact is we have people who are on our streets in every part of San Francisco, and we are in desperate need of shelter beds and housing to really make a dent in what we know is one of the biggest challenges that we face. So 2011, San Francisco creates what critics call a Twitter tax. That's expired. But there's still questions about you know, rising rents, cost of living, inequality, homelessness, all in part because you know, tech companies have created tremendous wealth while accruing tremendous benefit that a lot of people say hasn't accrued to the rest of the city. Do you agree with that? And, and do you think that higher taxes in some of these companies may be an answer? So I think in part that is somewhat true in terms of the tech 
companies that are a part of San Francisco have not really become a part of San Francisco. Um, and in some cases, some of the companies have been founded in San Francisco, but not invested and given back and done, you know, the types of things that you should do as a good neighbor, a good business in this community. Uh, we have not done our part in San Francisco. We have not done our part with building more housing. We had this economic boom between 2010 and 2015. We were like, jobs, jobs, jobs. Every eight jobs we created, one unit of housing. And we were wondering why, as technology moved forward aggressively, as Airbnb happened, and as all of these tech companies started to boom and hire all these people, where were they going to live? Where were they going to live? And we saw just a tug of war, and, and, and a lot of folks were pushed out of the city, um, and, and it became really a, a very controversial thing. And so this type of thing is what you deal with from the onset, um, not after the impacts. And, and that is what's necessary to build a better relationship with a city and communities that are new to the city. In addition to giving contributions and taxes and everything else, the cultivating the next generation right here in San Francisco with our kids who are in public schools all over the city. One other question on this, just because, I, you know, I think San Francisco is, is facing a lot of challenges or is kind of the tip of the spear on a lot of challenges facing cities across the country. And one of them is rising rents, whether it's for stores or for uh, apartments or just places for people to live. And there's a lot of empty storefronts empty apartments because people are for tax purposes or just hoping to get more money down the line. One idea I've seen people talking about is a vacancy tax. What do you think about that as a way to get, you know, get more people into some of these open apartments, open places to live, open storefronts? I think what's happening and, and why a vacancy tax can be helpful is that in some instances, people who are leaving their storefronts empty, they're still able to write them off in their taxes. So they're somehow benefiting. I mean, I know in the Fillmore Western Edition community where I grew up, uh, where homes were demolished, there was this massive development that happened with a lot of apartments, with a number of affordable units, and also a lot of storefronts that have been vacant for almost 20 years. And they're not obligated to do anything. And you would think that with so many empty storefronts for so many years, that there would be something put into place. And, and this is something that I'm working with some of the members of the Board of Supervisors to do in terms of va vacancy tax or whatever you want to call it. We would have to go to the voters for something like that. But there are some fees that we're looking at now that we can do and propose um, that will make things a little bit more difficult for people to leave their storefronts vacant. But part of what we have to do is make changes to our existing policies in order to help small businesses achieve success. Rezoning, um, making it easier, and I just did some legislation, just signed some legislation, so that, like, for example, you have a coffee shop and you want to have a comedy show. Do you know how difficult it is to get a permit to do something that simple? Just some of the craziness that existed in this city in terms of policies. And I spent a lot of time when I used to be on the Board of Supervisors getting rid of some of those policies. So Next question. <laughs> Do you support, finally, at long last, ending daylight saving time? <laughs> so that... Now here's what we're going to do. I just want to be clear what I mean. I mean that we stay in summertime and we never fall back so we, okay. so we live in the good times. Thank you. Forever. Make it clear. Sorry. Because whenever the extra hour is of sleep, I would change daylight saving time, so that's the only thing that happens. So a 25-hour <laughs> hour day, it's innovative. It's innovative. Never been proposed on this stage. We've had a lot of pushback from many presidential candidates and others, but I've never heard a pitch for going to the strict 25-hour day. It's exciting. It's exciting. A lot of interesting implications. We can all use more sleep. We could. Oh, my so, God, we could. And that, that extra hour isn't what it used to be. No, not with phones and social media. Next question. Yes. <laughs> Who do you like in 2020? So, I, <laughs> so let me tell you, I'm a Democrat. I don't mess around. I'm going hard for whoever is basically the nominee. 
but Kamala Harris is my girl. And I'm going to ride for her, and I just think she's amazing. She's done some amazing things here locally in San Francisco, and you're never going to find the perfect person that you love everything about what they do, um, but at the same time, we need something other than what we're dealing with now, and I am strong Kamala Harris supporter. Guys, give it up for your mayor, Mayor London Breed. Thank you so much for being here. That was so fun. Thank you. When we come back, we'll be joined by Guy Branham. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Hi, I'm Aaron Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show Hysteria is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't... (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. He was the host of Talk Show, The Game Show. He's an all-star Love It or Leave It panelist and the author of the incredibly funny book, My Life as a Goddess. Please welcome back to the show, Guy Branham. John, I have to begin with three points. Please do. First one, you and London were great. It was magnificent to see the mayor in action. You avoided the hard-hitting question. Should San Francisco place a tax on people waiting in line for ice cream? (laughs) Sure, tax, sure, like displaced people. There are a lot of issues in this town, but the most pressing issue is people waiting in line on the sidewalk for niche foodstuffs, sometimes noodles, mostly ice cream. (laughs) Um, Somebody's got to solve it. I'll tell you, Guy, I live by a very simple rule. Never wait online to give anybody money. Okay, we're in San Francisco. We wait in line here, not online, motherfucker. Second of all. Second of all. I forgot that there were three points. 80 degrees in San Francisco. What the fuck are we doing? I mean, the people here, they don't have air conditioning. The people of Tiburon had to get on their boats. Uh, my last point was just a personal point between me and John. When I showed up, like about 15 minutes before the show started, he was like, thanks for showing up. And I realized it was because I have an unfortunate like seven days length of beard growth that looks not ready for an audience full of people. And it was clearly John being passive aggressive at me. And I just want to be clear, it's for a Halloween costume that is heavily concepted out and required several calls to my florist. You know what? This show finally got 100% gay because this is two gay people having an an interchange backstage in which one person is reading something into the exchange that did not take place. (laughs) Did not have that reaction. John, do not lie about your shadiness less than a block from Harvey Milk's photo store, okay? Now it's time for OK Stop. The roll a clip. Guy and I can say, okay, stop at any point to comment. Rudy Giuliani. Over the last few months, he's been bouncing around the Ukraine, cosplaying as Jack Ryan. If Jack Ryan left drunk voicemails for his ex-wife from the handicapped stall of a cigar bar in Midtown Manhattan. And a lot of people have questions about Rudy's mission to Ukraine. Like, why? Why you? So he went on, it says here, Laura Ingram to defend himself. Let's roll the clip. Why is Rudy roll, you know, running the show on that? Why isn't it FBI and just main justice? Okay, That's stop. Very... Such a good question. <laughs> Such a good, good question from Laura Ingram. Why would you call 
Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> declining former mayor who spends most of his days waiting in a green room for someone to pull the string in his back <laughs> to Ukraine, a place in which he has no expertise to investigate crimes about which he knows nothing. Let's see how he did. Uh, because the FBI's performance in this entire investigation, including up to this moment, is uh, flawed. Why am I doing it, Laura? Can't you figure it out? I'm his defense lawyer. I'm defending him. Rudy Giuliani. Okay, stop. I, I'm sorry. I'm old. When I was growing up, Republicans were the law and order people. Republicans were like, we have to do what the FBI and CIA say, even when they're overthrowing a country. And now they are so attacking the rule of law that like, they are at odds at all times with the FBI and CIA. And to take that one step further and say that the President of the United States is such an unrestrained despot that his personal lawyer goes and handles the issues of the United States in foreign countries is like a little bit scary and a little bit, are we going to get a Versailles out of this? It's also worth remembering, too, that the reason Rudy Giuliani is Donald Trump's defense attorney is that any reputable attorney did not want to be involved. But also, take a moment and realize if, if Rudy's life had... God forbid, been cut short in 2006, like by a heart attack or something, the beautiful in memoriam he would have gotten. If, like if it was just, if it was just the, the man who went on SNL and made everything okay after 2001, uh, and now it's just like, um, like the bad Goering, like the failed yeah. Goering. Right. You either die America's mayor or you live long enough to become this. But the, uh, to your point, yes, his in memoriam has decreased in quality. Practice political criminal law since the early 80s is now saying he has evidence, he has all this information, he's making things up. And if, if the Bidens weren't public figures, it would be libelous. And I'm sure my friend, the former U.S. attorney, would agree with that. Okay, stop. Man. If someone in a tiny cable news box ever says, and I'm sure my friend agrees with that, he's not, and he's not. <laughs> and he'll respond to what you just said. And I'd like to say, uh, to, go Ms. Ahead to, to, I'd like to say Mr. Hahn, I should sue you for libel, because you irresponsibly oh, said... Oh, please. Yeah, well, you, you actually usually okay, say... Okay, stop. Hi. I went to law school. If you're in elective politics... People get to talk shit about you, and they certainly get to say things that are true. I am so tired of this president and his lackeys talking about libel and slander and, like, wasting everyone's time on that. Our courts need to do their job and say, shut up. Incredibly stupid thing. You're a public figure. Yeah, and... That's uh, what I said, yeah. By the way, do you have any idea that the State Department... So then you know the libel law. Okay, shut up, Nora. Okay, stop. (laughs) Shut up, moron. At this point, I would like to note that many of America's problems are due to the fact that uh, men between the ages of 50 and 75 uh, struggle with intimacy. (laughs) I don't even remember if it turned out to be true or not, but in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, he talked about how taking the lead out of the gasoline solved crime or something. I don't remember. Anyway... The point I'm making is, I think that there's going to be a long-tail positive result of men not being raised the way these three men were raised. (laughs) Look at them. I just think we've done even a slightly better job with our boys, and I believe we have. Maybe there'll be some better. I think think, think we'll see. I think we'll see. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about, idiot. I do. No, you... John, I just want to say, at moments like this, I miss Poppy Bush. Um, because when he was undermining America's interests, you felt like there was some class involved. You oh, know? Like, oh, yes. There was a kind of Brahmin energy to it where, yeah. where uh, yes, they would, they would cut you. Yeah. Uh, We're declaring a war that is unnecessary, but also I have a beautiful home in New England. You just Mr. lied. Mayor, I wish you would stop. You lied, my I friend. I wish you would stop, Mr. You Mayor. Lied. Why don't you okay. tell him to keep his mouth shut so we can tell the truth? Yeah, Chris, okay? just let Rudy Just keep your lying mouth shut. Just keep your lying mouth shut. 
And that's okay, stop. When we come back, very special edition of a segment we call Gay News. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show Hysteria is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't. (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back! Guy, before we move on uh, to gay news... Uh, I did want to ask you, you know, we, we t- I talked the, in, the, in the open about where impeachment currently stands. What do you make of the Republican response? The Republicans have been so in line for so long, it's truly scary. And you just wonder if there's going to come that moment where somebody looks a Republican in the eye and says, what the fuck are you doing? But who in the Senate is actually going to break and Margaret Chase Smith this shit? You always assume there's going to be Susan Collins, but Susan Collins is broken. Like, (laughs) Susan Collins is not doing the thing that we have Susan Collins for, and that's for Maine to figure out. Um, That's for Maine to figure out. Do you think anyone will have any sense of integrity and be like, oh shit, yeah, there are things that are more important than my partisan affiliation and the hope that after I lose election, I will get to be the ambassador to Fiji. I will maybe do the right thing for a moment. So, 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 look, I hear the cynicism, and I get where it comes from, looking at the world and observing it with your eyes and your ears. (laughs) People will disappoint you. They will again and again because of their nature, fallen. She ate the apple. Women did it. Uh, What? Is that not right? Gay male misogyny is real, you guys. So, (laughs) no, but so, I will say, I agree that, you know, we can't hold out hope that Republicans will uh, discover their consciences. Those are gone. Uh, But I will say I am surprised, even in the past 48 hours, by the reluctance of Republicans to full-throatedly defend Donald Trump. They are looking for things that they can say with a straight face on camera. Things like, I'm reserving judgment. Things like, uh, this president shouldn't have to release the transcripts. What about the precedent? Uh, They are reluctant to go out there and full-throatedly defend him, but for those that have successfully killed a part of themselves that experience shame, and many of them have done that. Uh, But some of them still haven't. Some of them still feel shame. You can see it in their eyes. Shame, it turns out, we didn't realize it, was among the most powerful instruments of American politics. It prevented a great many abuses that, it turns out, were not prevented by laws or institutions. I think, I think Rob Portman, because he wants to be a human being. I think Lisa Murkowski, because there are 12 people in Alaska. Um, I think that is our best hope. Romney, who we've always liked. <laughs> It was <laughs> Romney was asked, you know, well, what do you think? And he goes, oh, it's troubling in the extreme. And the reporter, to their credit, said, oh, what are you going to do other than be troubled? Well, then... and, but, but what Romney said in response was, well, there's a process playing out in the House. But that process is now impeachment. Let's see where this thing goes. Let's be cynical. <laughs> Let's be cynical, guy. But let's keep a tiny flame of hope in our hearts. My hope rests entirely on the fact that the number of sitting U.S. senators that he has been truly vile to is enough to give the Democrats a two-thirds majority. Like, in this path to the presidency, he was horrible to everyone, and they have been spineless about it. I I agree with that, in theory, Guy, but I think you're underestimating 
the number of Republican U.S. senators whose kink is being abused. Here's the thing, John. I don't think it means that they will vote to convict him for impeachment. I do think the likelihood that at least 20 of them don togas and attempt to knife him after the State of the Union is high. And now it's time for gay news. San Francisco. It's changed a lot in recent years. Tech bros, etc. Now a typical gay experience in the city is Grimes convincing Elon Musk to watch Blue is the Warmest Color and try poppers. <laughs> Too much? But that's not true here in the Castro. Here in the Castro, still gay as hell. Who's fucking in bushes after the show? I'm gonna be there. <laughs> here in the Castro, you've got Harvey Milk and you've got Muscle Milk. You've got Zen Meditation Centers and you've got Zendaya Appreciation Centers. She's so tall. You've got big little eyes and big little thighs. I don't even know what that one means. But the Castro remains, as always, a bastion for gay people. It's a place where we can be ourselves. So tonight, we're going to reflect on gay history in a segment we're calling Gay News. I am... I am bad at that. I'm sorry. This is never going to be Lost Culturistas. I am not going to be able to synchronize myself with you. I'm not good at singing, but I know a lot of Supreme Court decisions, okay? I bring other things to the table, John. Please stop shaming me for not being musical. Point taken. In 1794, Luxembourg legalized sodomy. And then in 1795, after some really fun vacations, their neighbor Belgium did the same thing. It's like the president of Belgium came back from Luxembourg and was like, you guys are not going to believe the holes I discovered in Luxembourg. Gay news. In Chicago, 1924, Henry Gerber, a war veteran and immigrant, formed the first known gay rights organization in the United States, the Society of Human Rights, which housed the first publication for homosexual men, Friendship and Freedom. Their newsletter, which I can only assume was published through MailChimp, only sent out a few issues before the organization's vice president's wife reported them and waited for their arrest. Then the chorus of cell block tango began. And honestly, can you blame her? Do you ever think about if you had lived in the 50s in the hours and you married a lady, what it would be like? So, good question, Guy. Thanks for asking. Here is what I believe. I do not believe it is possible for me to marry a lady. <laughs> I think my wife and I would have been the best of friends. I think she would have had a lot of interests and I would have supported them. I just don't think I can get it done. Uh, <laughs> gay, gay news. news. <laughs> 1994 at a sleepaway camp, a boy named Ian who was good at soccer did an impression of me that was just this. It was just, ugh. <laughs> Gay news. In 1998, a young law student in Minneapolis, Minnesota, called his parents and told them that he was gay. And because she knew that he was going through a hard time, Cher released the Believe album. <laughs> she was like, I know I have been away. I know I focused on movies a lot for a while, but I feel that there is a very fat gay boy out there who is balding and he needs to believe in life after love and also that he's strong enough. Gay news. In 1957, Frank Khamenei was fired from his job at the Army Map Service for being gay. In turn, he petitioned the Supreme Court in 1961 for relief, arguing that the federal government's treatment of him was like Darren Criss being straight and affront to human dignity. <laughs> He was the first person to make that civil rights argument to our nation's highest court. His petition was denied, but he lived to see the ban on gays in the military overturned and was even invited to the White House by President Obama. Yes, he was just one man, but he fought for millions who didn't want their sexual orientation to stop them from doing the gayest job of all, map making. Gay news. 
1969, police tried to shut down a New York gay bar called the Stonewall Inn. Heard of it? <laughs> Kicking off riots that would unify the LGBT community in New York City and lead to the formation of gay rights organizations around the U.S. and around the world. Activists like Marsha P. Johnson, Miss Major, and Stormy Delivery uh, went toe-to-toe -to -toe with law enforcement as they fought for a place where they could live their lives openly and buy cocktails that probably cost like a dime back then. I would throw 1,000 bricks through windows for a deal like that, and old-fashioned is like $17 now. Also, what gay guy is ordering an old-fashioned? Come on, Travis. Yes. We, uh, all, oh. we all understand that a vodka soda is the increment of commerce for gay bars. Yes. It's our euro. Also, um, as I learned from the film Stonewall, the first brick was thrown by um, white man with abs. Is that not correct? Yes, it's true. Gay news. So, this is the story of a gay boy in the '90s with a 28.8 baud modem. First, you load pictures slowly but surely of a naked woman. And then you think, let's introduce a man to this equation. And you load a picture of a man and a woman, and it loads. Time passes. You think, this would be better with another guy. <laughs> and so the photo loads. Now there's two guys and a woman. And then there's a fateful moment where it's time for that woman to go. Two thousand three. I am sitting at my telemarketing job at Civic Center in Oakland, and my coworker Anjanette walks up and says, "Why are you crying?" And I said, "I am reading a Supreme Court decision right now." That Supreme Court decision, ladies and gentlemen, was Lawrence v. Texas, the best work that Anthony Kennedy ever did. Gay news. Gay news. 2005, Meryl Streep said Cerulean. Why is no one ready? Why was no one ready? I remember when Ellen came out of the closet. And I actually watched it completely. I watched it I remember when it was coming. I read all the news stories about it. I watched the episode. But it wasn't for another decade more that I realized that I had watched Ellen come out of the closet without saying a word out loud. I was closeted myself at the time. And I just experienced it. It was incredibly important to me. And I never told a soul because by the time I'd come out so many years later, I wasn't thinking about that moment, that incredibly poignant moment between me and this TV star. And I realized that so many other people had had this personal secret moment with Ellen DeGeneres. And so I found myself watching Ellen accept the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Barack Obama. And I found myself tearing up because I realized that I had never spoken aloud about this incredibly important experience in my life because I realized at that moment when I saw Ellen come out of the closet that I too could be a gay comedian who has a reputation for being much meaner than you'd expect behind the scenes. Also, not pleasant when his hair isn't cooperating. In 2015, the Supreme Court decided Obergefell v. Hodges, making it illegal for states to ban. You should have clapped like that for Lawrence v. Texas. Respect Lawrence v. Texas is a beautifully written opinion it's that so has affected jurisprudence across the country. Go fucking read Lawrence v. Texas. Read Lawrence v. Texas. The ending is magnificent. Yes. By, honestly, by Obergefell v. Hodges, Kennedy was, like, trying too hard, you know? No, he, it had gone to his head. It was getting very overwritten. It was like Matrix <laughs> Revolutions. Uh, uh, making it illegal for states to ban same-sex marriages, thanks to the deciding vote from gay icon and drag queen moderate Anthony Kennedy. <laughs> then, that night, the White House was lit in rainbow colors by John's friends. Barack Obama. <laughs> It was weird, because by that point in time, I had been out of the closet for, like, I mean, almost 20 years. 
I just never thought that I would get to be a part of my country that much, if that makes any sense. Don't pity me, be excited. Also, you should have clapped more for Cerulean. And I thought at that moment that my mother would wait 15 minutes before texting me about when I'd get married. (laughs) And that's gay news. When we come back, the rant wheel. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show, Hysteria, is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't... (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Now it's time for the rant wheel. You know how it works. We spin the wheel. Wherever it lands, we rant about the topic. This week on the wheel, we've got anti-Greta Republicans, Jennifer Lawrence's wedding registry, Crooked's pumpkin carving, designing women, James Comey, the Emmys, the OA being canceled, and Trump's vocabulary. Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on designing women. I believe this came from Guy. Look, so Hulu recently added the entirety of designing women to uh, Hulu. And John, there used to be a time that situation comedies were about something. You watched that fucking first season of designing women. So many feminine, like it was groundbreaking that that was a show with four, let's be honest, white ladies talking. To each other, but there are so many issues that are still relevant today that come up in that first season. It's so good. Shoulder like, pad. There used to be a time when sitcoms were like relevant and funny and good theater, and then they just came to a point where they're now either like bad pablum, so we can sell it to the Netherlands, or they're not a comedy. They're just a half-hour-long drama where people are sad. This was four ladies, and it wasn't about shoes. It wasn't about dating. It was about their real, actual lives. It is possible, ladies and gentlemen, for TV to be funny and relevant and political and interesting. And that, so you know, and so your children will know, is the night the lights went down in Georgia. Went out in Georgia. I really, I failed on the landing there, John. No, they didn't know. They didn't know. You're the only one who knew. I know, but still inside. Also, Annie Potts is amazing. Let's spin it again. It has landed on the OA. (laughs) That's the problem, sir. You shouted, what is it? And I'll tell you what it is. It's a show that you didn't deserve. And I'll also say that there were a lot of things on this rant wheel that I was interested in talking about tonight. It was a very packed wheel. So before I get to the OA, I want to run through a few others. (laughs) Maybe all of them. One, people that attack Greta Thunberg online. What is wrong with you people? Jesus Giles. People comparing her to Nazi youth. Someone on Fox News called her mentally ill. What is going on? Sarah Schaefer, a very funny comedian, was like, if you think she was too enthusiastic or unhinged or whatever, you've clearly never seen a tween girl talk about anything because that is their intensity level for all things. Her remarks at the UN were great. They were great. All you can think about is money and the fantasy of permanent economic growth. Like, 
What is happening? Pressing my buttons. My speechwriter's buttons. Gross. My speechwriter's buttons. Shut up, you creeps. Now I have to cut the whole thing. It's not a weird. Greta Thunberg is good. And if you think she's bad, your brain has been broken by politics. Next, crooked pumpkin carving. This is a specific request. I've started a tradition at Crooked Media. It is the annual Crooked Media pumpkin carving. And I do it because I like fun and I like carving pumpkins. All right? And it's a mandatory tradition. And every year, I notice how it doesn't seem to appear on the schedule until I start raising some fucking hell. Because, of course, uh, an annual pumpkin carving requires a great deal of annual pumpkins. But I'll tell you something about the annual pumpkin carving. John and Tommy never want to carve a pumpkin. Like, they're too good for it. So, everybody be chill, but at a certain point I may call upon you to tell them to carve pumpkins. Please be ready. Next topic, the Emmys. Too many good shows. Next topic. No, can I just, can I just add one more thing? Good for Phoebe. Next topic. Trump's vocabulary. He's down to 500 words. He is using the Orwell Dictionary by accident. But let's end the show by talking about the OA. How many people here have watched the OA? How many people here have heard of the OA but didn't click on the OA? How many people here have never heard of the OA? Here's the thing. We let Brit Marling down because the OA was a beautiful, weird, very earnest show that took a lot of risks and is delightful to watch. What is it about? What is this show? What isn't it about, guy? It's about a lot of topics, all right? The nature of consciousness, human intimacy, multiple dimensions, a house with magic. It's about a lot of stuff, all right? It's about a lot of stuff. It's a, it's a little bit about mass shootings. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit in a way that's hard. It's also, about, it's also about interpretive dance. It's about a lot of stuff. It's hard to explain. It's why it didn't take off. But here's the thing. <laughs> I feel very guilty about the OA, and I'll tell you why. I watched the first season of the OA, and I found it to be a strange and wondrous little show that seemed impossible to exist because of its earnestness. And again, Mass shooting and, and, and interpretive dance. It's imagine. And I do should mention, you know, angels. It's very, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. But I watched it and I thought, all right, I'm going to get five seasons of this. I'm in. Second season pops up on my little Netflix algorithm. And I think I'll get to that soon, one day. But did I click? But did I click? I didn't. I didn't. I took it for granted. I took it for granted. Because I didn't believe Netflix cancels things. Because of how much shit Netflix makes. It's the cheesecake factory of, of services. It's got your, your filet mignon, but, you know... Jalapeno poppers, they're in there too. And so I thought the OA would be there. It, they wouldn't cancel the OA. They're spending $200 million for reruns of Friends. <laughs> and so I said, I'll watch it one day. And then all of a sudden I see an announcement. And it tells me the OA is canceled. Canceled. And I thought to myself, oh, I never watched it. And so I started watching it. And if it's possible... The second season manages to be even weirder than the first. It's one of the most bizarre experiences you can have watching a screen. I don't even want to spoil it for you. I guess what's the difference? It's not coming back. I'll just say that it manages to have marine life, multiple dimensions, a psychotic psychiatrist, a teacher who kidnaps a group of her students, interdimensional travel, as always, and... Um, 
multiple dimensions vis-a-vis an internet made of trees. Listen. <laughs> Listen. Listen. But I watched those eight episodes. And at the end of the eighth episode, I found myself crying for two reasons. One, I'm easy. But, <laughs> but two, because this was a good and interesting show about what brings us together and, and, and kindness we see in each other and that took chances and all of us talk about how we want to watch interesting stuff that's not the Avengers and then Britt Marling makes it for you and you throw it in her fucking face. Which brings me to Trump. I thought the OA would always be there. Just like I thought I'd probably have a way to end the show from this point. Wait, wait, is the OA rule of law? Is the OA rule of law? The OA is Barack Obama in this specific way. I thought once the OA was made, I can count on it. It'd be around for five seasons. I didn't need to watch it right away. I didn't need to do my part. Other people would watch the OA and make sure it got a third season and a fourth season and a fifth season that was promised to complete the arc of the interdimensional internet tree angel mass shooting teacher show. Is John, but is, the, what? Is, is, is nailed it Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's end on a high note. The last two days have been pretty good. And I know it feels especially satisfying for us because I have a feeling that we're all of a similar mindset, which is we understood for quite some time that Donald Trump certainly deserved to be impeached, right? We believed it was the right thing to do morally, but we convinced ourselves that it was the right thing to do politically, that he should be impeached, we should hold him accountable. I agree with that, guy. Yes. We all have thought that for a long time. And the first two days have been pretty validating. They've been pretty, they've been, been pretty good to watch Donald Trump on his heels. And if you watch him at the UN today give his four o'clock press conference where he looked like someone had put five Benadryls in his Diet Coke and he got up there and he, he should have had like uh, one of those um, Benjamin Franklin sleeping caps and a fucking candle and a little copper thing, you know? You know? That's what he looked like. And by the way, that's what he should sleep in. That's like, I don't even mean that in a mean way. Like that is the fucking look for Donald Trump. It's an A plus look for him. One of those blue caps that goes over the top a full sleeping dress and a candle in a little copper thing. Can't you see him wandering around an old Victorian mansion looking for people, looking for people to tell him a story that he can talk about the good old days, that time where he was respected at the UN? But I want us to remember this feeling because we've been calling for impeachment a long time and it's not always going to feel as good as it did for the past two days. It's going to be at times a bit of a slog because it's 2019 and there's no clean wins no clean, we're not, this is not going to be a knockout. It's only TKOs, a term I know. <laughs> All I'm saying is, this is the good part. This is the fun part. But we're in it now. All right? We've caught the fucking car. So let's just keep our eyes on the prize. <laughs> be a fucking Greta. <laughs> and that's our show. I want to thank your mayor, Mayor London Breed. I want to thank Guy Bradham. I want to thank the Castro. I want to thank all of you for coming out. I want to thank San Francisco. Have a great night. Love It or Leave It is a product of Crooked Media. It's written and produced by me, John Lovett, Elisa Gutierrez, Lee Eisenberg, our head writer and Joe Biden supporter, Travis Helwig, and writers Jocelyn Kaufman, Alicia Carroll, and Peter Miller. Bill Lance is our editor, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Our theme song is written and performed by Sure Sure. Thanks to our designers, Jesse McLean and Jamie Skeel, for creating and running all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast, and to our digital producers, Narmel Konian and Yale Freed, for filming and editing video each week so you can. 